Hi, and welcome to the SJ Child Show. I'm your host, SJ Childs, and today I have Joanne, and she just said her last name, and I'm not going to say it because, see, this is my brain just falls right out of my mouth. <laughs> Joanne, thank you so much for being here today. Um, introduce yourself so I don't mispronounce your last name and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. My name is Joanne Garenzer, and I'm the executive director of the Eden 2 programs in Staten Island and Long Island. We serve um, people across all ages who have autism, three till they no longer need our services. Um, uh, Because we serve a lot of individuals who are on the much more extreme end of the spectrum, many of them need us uh, for their lifetime. So Mm -hmm. we're here for them. That's fantastic. Well, I'm excited to talk about what kind of services that those are and the education, the educational piece and all of that. So tell us what got started. How did you get started on this journey? Well, it's interesting because I, my, as I was growing up, I had two friends who were both deaf. They were twins. So I wanted to work as a, with the deaf population, but my high school advisor said, get a degree in speech pathology because then you have a lot of options. And so in graduate school, I, I worked with my first autistic child and I just never looked back. So it's been, I'm going on my 40th year at oh, Eaton yes. actually. Yeah. Congratulations. And thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for your services to the wonderful autism community. Um, I don't know if you know yourself, but I just recently found out I'm also autistic and on the spectrum um, in May. So it's uh-huh. kind of my new experience to share from a whole new perspective of you know, not only being a mom and a wife, my husband's on the spectrum, but then finding out for myself. So it's, um, it's been fascinating. It's helpful. I think, you know, Oh yeah, absolutely. It really helped me to, you know, look back and uncover and understand things and also to move forward, how to, um, better help the people around me to understand myself and, you know, my family. And it's oftentimes people look at me and what, you know, they kind of tilt their head and no, that can't be. And then I tell them, well, that's why I'm here is to teach you that what you think it looks like is not correct. So let's learn some new things, right? Exactly. Um, Tell us about kind of the starting point. If people, you know, need to get in touch with the services and tell us a little bit about Eden as well. Um, so we, we serve, you know, uh, start serving kids at age around two and a half, three, we have a preschool program. The goal of our preschool program is to get kids back into general education or less restrictive settings. Right. And so they'll start with us. Um, and then at five, we try and transition them for, and many of them do very well and are, are back in their local school districts. Some need a little bit more help. Uh, so they move into our school age program. And again, the goal is as soon as we can to get them back to their school districts. And, and obviously because we're sort of known as serving those kids who have the most needs, many of them stay with us until they're 21. And then we have a variety of different ways in which we can support our adults. I love that. And adult transition and services are so 
needed. And, and, and I think even more than that, the understanding that there are services out there is needed. Like yeah. there are services we can get. We, people just don't even understand that they can get them or don't know how to look for them. So wonderful to be able to provide those for people when they get into more like, you know, the teenager and do you have do like voc rehabs or any kind of employment trainings? What does that look like? Yeah. So our, our kids, our, our thinking process, even though the law says that your IEP should be a transition IEP at 14, Mm -hmm. we begin our transition thinking much younger um, because we know that, Um, It may take a lot longer for some kids to get to where they really want to be. Some some kids and families don't know where they want to be. So we begin thinking about that with the families and the participants as much as we can earlier. Um, And then around 14 or so, we're already doing what we call job sampling. Uh, Many of our individuals are not verbal or, or don't have sufficient communication to really let us know exactly what they want to do when they grow up. So we take them to a lot of different job sites that we have in the community and um, we see how they do. Do they seem to like it? Are they happy? Um, you know, we talk to the families a lot about what they see for, for their loved ones as they get older. Um, and then as as they get older, we start to look for more honed in type of, of work that would fall into something that might be there for them in the future. Yeah. Special interests kind of. <laughs> yeah, ideas, absolutely. Huh? Yeah, that's yeah. a great way to go. Um, when you, um, my brain was just asking three questions at a time. Now I got reel it back, Sarah. <laughs> um, when you have the families there, is it brick and mortar? Is it online? Let it, tell us about that. Well, so the pre COVID, everything was always in person. We do, we do a lot of, you know, we always say that at Eden too, you don't just accept the child, you accept the family. And oh, we, that. we believe very strongly that, the families are key, both both in terms of helping guide us in what to really focus on, but also in helping us make sure that the kids are are learning across as many environments mm-hmm. as we can. Um, unfortunately, obviously, COVID really put a nail in that for a, a, a good year. Yeah. We did a lot of virtual stuff. Um, and for some of our participants, it was a disaster. But for many, it was shockingly um, good. Uh, you know, many of them really were able to benefit in a much better way than I ever thought they would. It still doesn't replace being in person. Yeah. But um, so we're we're doing catch up right now for the kids who really didn't benefit as much as we'd like from virtual. Um, and but obviously we've now got another tool in our toolbox because we still have that rep ability when we need to if we have to quarantine, or uh, if, uh, sadly my families probably are happy but my kids are not. We don't even have snow days anymore, right? Because we can do virtual instruction on those days. Yeah, yeah. definitely. No, I think that it's made it. Um, you know, it forced us into looking at other options that we hadn't realized could be available for and successful for some, like you said. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's unfortunate for those who just don't um, succeed in that kind of an environment and need the hands-on and the one-on-one trainings and things. What what type of family skills, like um, do you work on any type of like food aversions or, or any dietary things? Yeah, it, it really depends on, I mean, we, we certainly have a lot of kids who are have a very restricted repertoire of foods. So it's obviously something we really talk to the families about. Some families are like, you know what, 
my son or daughter, they have a, a sufficient repertoire. We're okay with that. And others are, are concerned because honestly, um, for some of them, it's so restricted that it becomes a health concern. Um, so we'll work on that with them. You know, the other thing is, um, and, and I know this is sort of the, the, the challenging word um, that some people get really like, oh no, the hairs on their arms stand up if we use the term compliance. But at the end of the day, there are some issues such as, okay, you have the flu, you need to take this medicine. Sure. And some of our kids have such food restriction that they will not do anything outside of their food um, and try and hide their medicine in their food. It's just not going to work. So we really think that, you know, I, 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 like everybody else have food preferences, you know, you can't get me to eat certain things. Um, I just don't want to, I don't like them. And we can, we know how to figure that out with our kids, right? We know that, okay, you tried it, you don't like it. You don't ever have to eat it again, but you at least have to be willing to try something because something down the road might be life-saving. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, so we, we, we do that as much as we can, but you know, it's a, it's one of those things where you can't tackle that if you don't have a hundred percent buy-in from the family. Oh, I agree with you on that because it's definitely, you have to, and I'm sure that this is something you probably do too, is parent training. You yep. have to have these parents on board. I'm a huge, uh, you know, advocate of that, that I, in fact, am going to be doing some trainings in the community. And that's the part I'm taking on parent training. Like you guys right. need to have the right information to be able to share the right information to gain the right resources. You can't just go in emotional or, you know, not understanding what you need. Like let's strategize what those things are so that you can get your, the best services right. you can. Yeah. So, so important. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. What t- do you have like social groups and, and things for parents and families? What does, do you do? Uh, so again, pre COVID, we did have some parent support groups. We have an active PTO. Um, our, our families are very uh, pre pre COVID. I could say that we had a very, very solid active uh, family group. Um, Eden too is a nonprofit, obviously. And uh, so we have a board of trustees nice. and by bylaw, 51% of my board members are parents, yeah. are people who, who uh, participate in our program. So um, it, it forces a lot of real clear. I mean, they're, they're part of the oversight of the organization. Yeah. Um, I think COVID really, there's just, it's been so difficult for so many of our families that um, there's the other piece that, you know, is really, really difficult for us right now. And I know this is a, not just us, but staffing. And so the staff, the ability to properly staff our program has made it so challenging. So if, unfortunately, we still are dealing with COVID and if we have a COVID outbreak, we have to shut classes down. And Mm. I think parents are just they're done with this, right? I I get it from their perspective. um, And I wish that we didn't have these staffing problems. Mm -hmm. So uh, our goal, in fact, we just scheduled a big, big in-person outdoors family uh, barbecue for for August. And it's really our first time bringing all of our families and their children and our staff and their children together. Because for some of my staff, they've never even met some of these families. Mm, Wow. Yeah. And that really helps them to uh, be better at their job, probably in saying, this is more personal to me. Now I can give all, you know, to what I absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, our, our perspective is that 
you know, when you work with a child with autism, you have to have a relationship with that child to be effective. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no difference, right? If you're going to work with a parent of a child with autism, you need to have a relationship with that parent. And I don't really believe that you can form the kind of relationships you need by just constantly having a phone call here or a Mm -hmm. Zoom there. Yeah, definitely. Now that in-person piece is is so important. And I agree how how much that meant to us when we had our, you know, therapist before pre-COVID as well. Uh, And then we had to make other adjustments, but it was definitely something that our son has, has missed out on since then, like that special relationship that he had with a couple of the therapists, you know? So definitely something I need to look back into. (laughs) Hopefully we are, we are beginning to get there. So close. Absolutely. What type of like um, educational programs and things do you run through the Eden program? Is it mostly like a therapy based or what does that look like? Uh, well, so we're, we're in my preschool, it's largely one-to-one. It's really teaching the kids how to learn from their environment. It's largely based on ABA, uh, but we have all sorts of, you know, some of my kids don't need that type of intervention. They're, they need a much less structured intervention. So it's very specific to the child. Um, again, uh, moving them as, as quickly as possible. So in our preschool, for example, we have classes of six kids. Then we have classes of 12 kids. And if we can move kids from the class of six to the class of eight to the class of 12, when they're in the class of 12, they're not in one-to-one, right? They're in much more like a traditional preschool so that when they, when they do leave us, they're ready to be in a a much more traditional environment. That's so smart. And that's so important. It's just, you know, um, acclimating kids to the right types of environments. Yeah. And the other piece that's really critical is recognizing that one-to-one is fine for a period of time, but if that's where you stick, you are not doing that individual any favors because as they age out of school age programs, they will never find adult supports that provide one-to-one supports. And so the only way this person is able to function uh, in in environment is with a one to one staff person. They're going to be in trouble when they turn twenty one. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's like the wisest advice I've heard in so long, and it's really true. Um, and I think parents are so afraid when they have that that one that they found or anything. So great advice that it's not a one size fits all. There's always great to have a team of people, you know, to, to support you, to help you to find, help you find resources to give your child a more diverse, um, experience of more people so that they can better, you know, nurture relationships and learn how to be in a class setting. Right. Yeah. Definitely. What, when they phase out and they go, you know, into adult setting, do you help with independent living? Well, so we just built a new building about seven or eight years ago for my teenagers through 21. And the building is very different from a traditional school. So it, it has, instead of classrooms, it, two of the classrooms are apartments with a bedroom, Mm -hmm. a living room, a bathroom, a kitchen, we have a dentist's office. That. We have a hairdressing what? office. We have a library. We have a fitness center that looks more like a traditional fitness center. And pre-COVID, the goal was that kids would work on their IEP goals in the right setting. So if one of their oh goals goodness, was brilliant. 
was working on laundry. We had a laundry center. If one of their goals was brushing their teeth, they went into one of the apartments rather than in a classroom where you go to a sink. Yeah. Um, we, we would, we wanted them to change for gym in the locker rooms so that we weren't working on dressing and undressing in a classroom. Yeah. We were working on it in a more, um, unfortunately with COVID, we had to dismantle all of that because we couldn't cross cohorts and move around the building, but we're, we're getting that back. Yeah. But so the idea is, is that we're, you know, our number one goal, people always say, well, what's your outcome measures? How do you know if somebody's succeeding? And for us, once we're dealing with 12 year olds and above, it's how long are they able to do something without adult supervision mm. successfully, right? Because it that's the best thing for everybody. It's the best thing for the individual who has autism. It's the best thing for the parents. Um, so independence is our number one goal. Um, for the kids that we support from the time they're 12 so that when they turn 21, they're much more successful in the world of adult supports where there are fewer. We Eden two does operate a number of um, residences. So um, families who are ready for their loved ones to transition to um, independent living as independent as it can be. Yeah. We have those opportunities. It's funny. I just read an article cause I'm, preparing a presentation on residential programming. And I, I just read an article on the impact of caring for your adult, your, your, your adult with autism who has pretty significant needs um, into long-term adulthood so that as the parents become older and it's very challenging on parents, people don't even realize how much it limits their social life, how much it limits their uh even their retirement, because many of them have had to stop working. Um, and so they don't have the financial resources that they were preparing for. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 yeah. I think it's a place we're really dropping the ball with, with individuals uh, who have pretty significant autism. Oh, goodness. What, what can we do to change that or fix that do legislature? What do we, what kind of yeah. changes do we make? I think it really needs to be understood. If you look at the research right now, this is a set of population. First of all, unfortunately, those with severe autism often require a lot more supports. Therefore, it's a lot more expensive. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's, you know, not that not every family is ready to have their child, their adult uh, move out of their home. And that's a personal choice. Mm. Um, but they at least need to have options. Yeah. Um, you know, the article talks about uh, this sort of, I can't remember the term they use, but in typically, in typical families, um, at, when the kids graduate high school, it starts a new phase in the family's life, right? The phase all of a sudden becomes the, the children need less support. You start to develop more of your parents, develop more of their own life. Well, for many parents of adults with autism, that phase gets very, very far pushed down, mm -hmm. where in some cases, permanently pushed down. Yeah. Then they live with that constant anxiety of what's going to happen when they're no longer there. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a terrifying experience that we've definitely gone through in my family. So I can attest yeah. to that. And I have to back up and say that I'm getting, my husband is going to be so jealous and mad that his idea is already existing. Um, and that is to have the life skills, different places The that he's like, we've got to buy this building. We're going to make the, the house, just like the way you said, I was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, the, I wish he was listening to this right now. <laughs> his face would have dropped to the floor, <laughs> but yeah. And it just shows that we're on 
on the right track. If we're, yeah. we're thinking those types of things and we want those types of life skills to be available for individuals, then we need to start creating those kinds of programs. Right. So That's hopefully right. that will be something. Um, we have um, both sides. We have a twice exceptional child and we also have a child with more needs. And so it, it's definitely... Um, you have to find the right balance for each individual and make sure that you're finding the right support systems at the same time, bringing them together, right. And making sure they're inclusive with one another. So that's, that can be challenging. Do you guys do special things for siblings? I do a lot of sibling shows and they're the, just the specialist people. Yeah. I have to say. Well, it's funny, right? Because two two siblings who are now adults both just joined our board, so oh. we now have two siblings on our right. board. Um, yeah, the siblings. It, you know, as I said earlier, this is my fortieth year. So many of my kids that were three and four years old when I started are in their forties, oh. which means that their siblings, who I've known their whole lives, mm. are in their forties as well. It's just been so fascinating. It's so interesting to see how many of the siblings ended up either working in the field. Um, you know, it's been great, but yeah, keeping, keeping the siblings involved and and helping them navigate the world of having a, a special needs sibling has been really, I think something very important. Absolutely. I I find it great. And both of mine do have autism. So, but like I said, one has a little bit more support needs and probably doesn't understand the, uh, you know, have that understanding of supporting his sister as much as she does him. Right. Um, Call it maternal (laughs) or something maternal energy she has. Um, where, Where can we find all of the information about the Eden 2 program and just all of the, um, yeah, tell us your website and all of the good yeah. stuff. Yes. So, so Eden 2's website is www.eden, the number two, dot org. So it's pretty simple. It's just eden2.org. Um, we do every year, uh, we get a grant to offer a whole host of free webinars for anyone to sign into. And they range from, you know, how to effectively advocate uh, for your son or daughter, all the way to more technical things like um, the LGBTQ issues that yeah. are there, not issues, but, uh, you know, how, how to navigate that world, because there is a higher rate of, of, of that in the autism community yeah. than there is in the general. So it's a very, very wide range of webinars. So I, I, I encourage people to check out the website um, so that they can look to, to see what we're going to do next year because they are free. And, um, so. Yeah. Take as much free education as you possibly can. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really the best way to go. And like you said, there's, um, there's not just one place to go, you know, check out your community resources, check out your school's information, things like that. Um, and then tell us again where you're at so that residents can come and check you out. So we are in Staten Island, uh, particularly on the North Shore of Staten Island is where our uh, primary headquarters are. We serve kids from all five boroughs. Uh, It's quite a long trip for those if you have to come from the Bronx, but we have served kids from the Bronx. And then we also have programs both in Nassau and Suffolk counties of Long Island. Wonderful. And make sure to, I'll put all of those links down in the description and you guys can be sure to go over and check out Eden to program. Thank you so, so much for coming onto the show today. 
Um, it's sounds like a wonderful place. I'm on, I'm in Utah, so I'm I'm Uh on the other side of the United States, but like I said, we like minds and we have some similar ideas. So I'd love to stay in contact and just, um, yeah, have a great opportunity to maybe work together on some projects in the future. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.